receive our offering, if you want to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 27, Acts chapter 27, we are getting close to winding down our study of the book of Acts. It's probably been a year and a half or more uh, in this phenomenal book of the Bible. And uh, so get your Bibles ready for that. Brother Stewart, why don't you make your way up here and go ahead and pray for the offering, please. Father, thank you for the night. I pray, Lord, that our minds would be open, our hearts in gear, and Father, we'd get exactly what you have for us tonight. Thank you for our pastor bringing us through the Bible and teaching us what we need to know. Bless the offering now, please, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts 27. If I could get a couple of you uh, teenage guys to help me out. Uh, I like maps when I study the Bible, and we need one for the next chapter or so. So if I can get a couple guys to just pass out some maps, uh, I think I've got enough for everybody here. Just give those to Tom. And uh, again, there should be uh, one for everybody there. Uh, we're in the 27th chapter of the book of Acts. Paul has been two years in prison uh, in a place called Caesarea. Uh, he, has, uh, been go he has been examined by two Roman governors, first Felix and then a man named Festus. Finally, by King Herod Agrippa. Uh, King Herod the Great's grandson in, in the last chapter 26 uh, was all Paul's testimony before that man. It closed rather sad as Paul uh, told uh, you know, Agrippa, he said, I know that you believe the prophets and, and Agrippa's answer was almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Uh, almost isn't good enough. Uh, whatever held him back, uh, the, we, we don't know about that. He knew the Bible. Uh, he had a very, very good understanding of who Jesus was, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He would have been living there at that time. Uh, but Paul had appealed to Caesar, lest he be sent back to Jerusalem and, and be held at the uh, whim of the Sanhedrin who wanted him to be uh, murdered. And so uh, it is to Rome that Paul is now uh, getting ready to head. So if you got your maps ready just a little bit there, um, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of refer to it from time to time. Can you find the city of Caesarea on your map? Okay, you see Jerusalem in dark letters in the lower right-hand corner, and just about uh, half an inch above that uh, is uh, Caesarea. That is where Paul has been. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Uh, for the last two years of his life as a prisoner, it, it appears that he's been treated well. His friends were allowed to come and visit with him, uh, but he has been a man who lost his freedom. Uh, chapter 27, verse 1, and when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. All of a sudden, the pronouns become plural again. It was determined that we should sail into Italy. Luke is the author of the book of Acts, so it appears that Luke is now part of Paul's entourage again. He may have been in Caesarea the whole time, may have been one of those friends that came and went uh, taking care of, of Paul's needs while he was there. But as Paul's going to go to Italy... Luke is with him. We're going to find out that there's someone else along with him, a name we've already met. We'll get to that in just a moment. But they are ready to set sail. And uh, it is a bad time of the year for them to do so. Uh, it is uh, about mid-September. 
Um, and uh, it is getting to the point where sailing on the Mediterranean Sea all but shuts down until the following March. It was a very seasonal thing. Uh, because of, of the way the winds would come out of the north uh, across the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Paul has been placed under the uh, control of a, of a Roman centurion named Julius. Uh, this man, Julius, apparently, as we will see, respected the apostle Paul greatly. Paul had a good testimony, even by his captors. Uh, he, never, he never resorted to... Uh, calling them names or threatening them or, or anything like that. Uh, and as this story unfolds, you'll find out that this new Roman centurion is another one of those uh, that Paul had won over, probably not to Christ as far as we know, but at least to himself. Um, and, and Paul had a good testimony there. So they're ready to set sail. And uh, now we're going to find out some of the servants of God that are going to be a part of Paul's life. And entering into a ship of Adramidium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia. You'll notice Asia is that area that is the modern day country of Turkey. The plan was to sail northward and hug the coast uh, of that region of Asia. The reason being that, that because of the winds are now start, starting to come out of the north, um, it's going to be colder air hitting the warm air of the Mediterranean. Storms are likely at that time. So hugging the coast, the land would protect them a little bit better than being out on the open water. Um, and, and so that is the plan. They're going to try to go that route as they make their way across to Italy. The Bible says, now we know that Luke is with him in verse 1. We find another one of Paul's companions in verse 2. One Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. We've seen this man once before. Turn back, if you would, to chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And let's see, I think I want you in verse... Number 29, this is in the city of Ephesus. We're, we're going way back now when they had that, that riot that lasted for hours and hours. It says, and the whole city was filled with confusion and having cut Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, that's the northern part of Greece, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. So this man, Aristarchus, has been a companion of the Apostle Paul for a very long time, may have been uh, one of Paul's converts. And Aristarchus, we don't know if he's a prisoner at this time, but eventually he will be imprisoned for his faith. If you'll look to uh, Colossians chapter 4, we find him mentioned again. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians 4. And uh, let's look at verse number 10. As Paul closes out this letter, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. So Aristarchus is not just a, a, a companion of the apostle Paul. Now he is a fellow prisoner. Um, uh, so uh, Paul, this is one of Paul's prison letters. Uh, we're not sure when he, when Paul left Caesarea, if Aristarchus was a prisoner with him 
We just know he's traveling with him at that time. He's mentioned one more time uh, in your Bible, Philemon. The book of Philemon. Only one chapter here. It's right before Hebrews. And in verse 23, as Paul closes out this letter, there salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. So um, Aristarchus was with Paul for a long time. Church history tells us that Nero also beheaded Aristarchus just like he did the apostle Paul. Um, so he was, a, he was a martyr for Christ when all was said and done. So Paul's got Luke with him, the, the faithful physician. He's got Aristarchus, um, a, a faithful servant in the midst of trials. Look at verse number three of Acts 27. The next day we touched at Sidon and Julius courteously entreated Paul, gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. So they're travel, traveling north up the coast uh, of, uh, of Palestine there. And you see in dark, uh, bold letters on your map, the city of Sidon. The ship pulled into the dock there. We're not sure how long uh, they stayed there. But Paul had such a good reputation. He was apparently trusted not to run off. And Julius let him go in and, and visit uh, some believers that were there. Uh, and the Bible says he gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. That word refresh is a pretty cool word, isn't it? Uh, our ladies from time to time will have a get together and they call it refresh. Just a Saturday to sort of get away from hubby and kids and, and all the stress of life and be around some Christian ladies um, and uh, laugh a little and eat some chocolate, cry a little, maybe get into the Bible a little bit. Um, the word refresh means to, res to rest or restore the spirit. So Paul was going to go to these believers in Sidon. And uh, while he was there, they were going to refresh. They're going to restore his spirit. Paul's been in prison for two years. This is the first time he's walked anywhere without guards and chains and a prison cell. Uh, it's the first time he's, if you will, he's going to get to go to church. And uh, while he's there, uh, his spirit will be restored and refreshed. And he's going to gain um, maybe just a, a little bit of that life back as he goes to serve the Lord. Uh, look, if you would, to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, this idea of believers refreshing one another, being an encouragement one to another. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In all of Paul's letters, the last chapter is usually talking about the people that, have, uh, that are traveling with him, uh, people sending greetings, people that he's appreciative of. And notice what he says in uh, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 16 verse, uh, actually we'll go to verse 17. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. So these three fellows came and, and uh, they just evidently brought an offering or maybe some food, some clothing uh, to the apostle Paul in, in the midst of his travels. Paul's not a prisoner yet. And he tells us of them, they refreshed my spirit and yours. 
Have you ever been around somebody that just being with them, you feel better? Anybody know somebody like that? Um, somebody that just uh, sort of, if you're having a bad day, you, can, you know you can just go hang out with them and you'll smile a little bit, you'll laugh a little bit. On the contrary, is there anybody that you've ever been around that <laughs> they are a real downer? Anybody like that? I mean, just being around them, you, you just want to be grumpy. You know, just, you know, just being around them just a little bit. Uh, we are kind of one or the other there. Uh, Paul has found some people early on in Acts 27, and, and he's just getting ready to start his trip. By the way, he is going to, he thought the prison was an ordeal. Acts 27 is, is going to be worse than that prison in Caesarea ever was. Uh, how nice of the Lord to anticipate that and allow him to be around some people that are going to encourage him and help him uh, uh, just refreshed in his spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 7, look at verse 13. He said, therefore we were comforted in your comfort. He had uh, written a harsh letter to this church in 1 Corinthians. And so he sent Titus, he sent Timothy uh, uh, there to just find out how the church was handling with it. And they said, we were, we were comforted by your comfort. We're so glad to hear that you took it well. Yea, and exceedingly, the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. So the church at Corinth often gets a, a, a pretty bad rap. They were a carnal church. Paul had to rebuke them a lot, but apparently... They responded positively to that rebuke. They got some things right. And Titus went there, maybe expecting the worst. And instead of that, this church refreshed his spirit. Uh, we've had missionaries come through. Uh, sometimes missions conferences. Sometimes it's just we have a, somebody scheduled and they come through. And uh, as they're getting ready to leave town, they'll talk about what a blessing that this church was to them and to their family. On occasion, they just talked and said, you have no idea how much we just needed to be with your church for a few days. Uh, it's been a little rough. And they're not complaining. They're, they're not whining or anything like that. But it's good to be a kind of a place where people feel like that. Amen? And the church of Corinth was that way. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and then we'll get back to Acts uh, chapter 27 here in a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Anesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And then how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus thou knowest very well. Here's another individual went out of his way to find Paul to search him out. Paul's in prison in Rome. Um, and just, he didn't just walk into prison and say, hey, I want to see this guy. Uh, there, there was a, a lot of hoops, if you will, to jump through. But this guy found him. He sought him out diligently. Um, and the Bible said, he oft refreshed me. In Proverbs, we learn, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. There ought to be a desire in every one of our hearts to be that kind of a person. How many of you have ever needed to be refreshed? Anybody like that? 
Um, one one uh, Thursday uh, morning, I went in to train with Sam, and uh, it had been an, uh, an exceeding rough day and so forth. And I walked in, and Sam looked at me, and, and uh, he could tell something was wrong. And he said, uh, you okay? I said, I need to throw around some real heavy weight today. He said, one of those days, I said, yeah. He said, would a hug help? And uh, I'm not really into hugging guys or getting hugged by guys or anything like that. He said, would a hug help? I said, yeah, let's just, let's just leave it to throwing around heavy weight. And, uh, you know, we did that. And, and uh, he, he sensed that there was, there was a burden on the heart. He sensed that he's, he didn't even know the Lord, but he was able to pick up on that. As believers, we need to realize that there are so many people going through difficult circumstances. That's why I ask you, how many have a burden and you'd like somebody to pray for you? I, I do that on purpose. It's not ritual. I want us to realize everybody's going through a tough time. And uh, everybody needs to be refreshed. So back in Acts 27, Paul is, has, has got some servants of the Lord that God's placed in his life. Luke is with him again. Um, and, and he's got Aristarchus with him, whether he's a companion or a prisoner as well at this time. Later, he will be uh, a prisoner. And now it's these friends at the church uh, at Sidon. Uh, verse number four, when we launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Now notice on your map, how many found the island of Cyprus there? Okay. Um, the arrow, does it show them going under Cyprus or above Cyprus? Above, and I have no idea why that is the case. Every map I looked up, the map in my, the back of my Bible, they all have that arrow going above Cyprus, but that's not what the Bible says. They went under Cyprus because those northern winds are already coming down. And uh, so they're hugging under that island uh, to just get some protection from the weather as they sailed. And when we sailed over the Sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And you find that on your map, correct? Okay, so we're walking through Paul's journey now. Uh, and he's, he, we're, we're sort of getting an idea um, where they're going to go. They're, they're not many days into their sailing. It's early in the season when they are just about ready to stop. By early October, they really stopped sailing on the Mediterranean Sea, and they are pushing that now. Verse 6, there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria, that's in Egypt. Now, that's not marked on your map, but that's on the northern coast uh, of the continent of Africa. Egypt was the granary of the Roman Empire. Um, Rome depended on the wheat coming out of Egypt to feed that teeming city, that population of several million people. And so they found a ship of Alexandria uh, that was going to sail into Italy and that is their goal. That is where they're headed. And he put us therein. So they're, they're going to uh, stop that, that trip up the coast of Asia. And they're now going to head west uh, as best they can to get to Italy. When we had sailed slowly many days and were scarce come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmone. So just follow that blue line and you see they're starting to swing south a little bit and it's slow going, okay? 
This is a precursor to what is about to be unleashed upon them. Uh, the wind is, uh, is not working with them. Uh, it is a very slow trip and they, they sail under Crete. Um, and uh, so they stop at Salmoni and they're gonna move their way over, hardly passing it, came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. So they are sort of in that spot. I'm not trying to be tedious. We're just walking through Paul's journeys. God saw fit to put this in the Bible for us. So it's, it, to me, it helps just to see the track of, of where they're headed um, and so forth. We're getting little clues that this is already starting out to be difficult. Uh, the winds were contrary, so they had to sail under Crete. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, under Cyprus. And so now the wind is, is against them and very slowly they're making their way uh, to the southwest and there's this place called Fair Havens. Verse nine, now when much time was spent and when sailing was now what? Dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and we'll look into his message here in a moment. The fast here... Most Bible commentators believe this is referring to the Day of Atonement, okay? Um, and that occurred anywhere between the latter part of September, early October. Um, and uh, it, it varied a little bit from year to year like our Easter does uh, and so forth. So that tells us it, it's now just a dangerous time to sail. They should just put into harbor. They should just wait out the winter. And when spring comes, uh, finish their trip. Uh, Paul admonishes them in verse 10, he has a message and said unto them, sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. So it's a bad time to sail. Paul is not a sailor uh, per se, but he has spent a lot of time on the sea. He has sailed back and forth uh, between Greece and Asia on, on multiple occasions. He is well-versed uh, in, in that, that type of life. He understands the weather and the seasons and all of those things. So he's putting out a warning there. Gentlemen, um, if we keep going like this, uh, we're, we're headed for trouble. I perceive again, uh, much hurt and damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion, that's this guy, Julius, believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken of by Paul. You're not a, you're not a sailor. And that's true. Paul was not a sailor. And he wasn't speaking as a know-it-all. Everybody loves know-it-alls, right? Paul wasn't doing that. But Paul was speaking as a man who knew God. He was a spiritual man. Paul was a man who, who prayed and sought the Lord's leadership. Uh, the scriptures don't tell us at this time if God had given Paul some insight about that. But Paul's also a man of common sense. And he knew what, what they were doing, trying to push this journey and, and start sailing now. Uh, it was the worst possible thing. And the centurion just passed on that, said, I'm going to believe the captain. Uh, I'm going to believe the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. It's going to come back to haunt all of them. Paul is going to bring that conversation to mind uh, several weeks uh, in their future. And because the haven 
was not commodious to winter in that place called Fair Havens. Um, it did not have a deep harbor. This was a ship that was loaded down with wheat. It was a large vessel. Uh, we know later on there were some 276 people on that ship in addition uh, to all of the wheat there. So it would have a very deep draft and it would require a deep harbor. So this ship was going to have to anchor uh, uh, out in the deep water. And if they, they went back and forth to land, they would have a smaller uh, boat that they would take people back and forth. Most often, they, most of the people just spend the winter living on that ship and they would be at the mercy of the seas there. It wasn't a good place. So their idea was to go to a place with a deeper harbor. So again, because the haven was not commodious to winter and the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenice and there to winter, which is in haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. Now you won't find uh, Phoenice on this map, but do you see the town of Phoenix on the island of uh, Crete? How many found that? Okay, that is the place it's talking about. This was a place that did have a deep harbor. They could get the, the ship in, um, and if needs be, uh, the sailors, the passengers could go into the, the city, get accommodations on land. Uh, the ship would be safer from the storms. It would be anchored uh, and so forth. Uh, Phoenix is about 40 geographical miles from Fair Havens. It is... Um, Sailing-wise, it's less than a day's journey. It, it wasn't a long journey, and they said, look, we'll get that far. We're going to be fine. Now, Paul's already warned them this is not a good plan, but they're not listening to the preacher. They know best. So they're, they're, they're going to they're gonna take that trip. Verse 13, when the south wind blew softly. See, Paul, you're wrong. South wind, it's coming up uh, from Africa. It's, it's warm air. There's no storms associated with that. This is going to be good. Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing fence, they sailed close by Crete. Circumstances can be deceiving. One moment, everything can be just fine. And just like that, like flicking a light switch, everything can go bad in a heartbeat. We're not supposed to base things on circumstances, but on what does God want us to do? These people were blessed. They didn't realize that they were blessed to have an apostle with them, a man of God uh, that God had appeared to and spoken to and through, who had already penned some books of the New Testament for us. And they just decided we're not going to listen to him, kind of like Saul did when his pride got to the place where he didn't need to listen to Samuel anymore. Um, and he ended up destroying himself and his family in the process. So they're sailing close by Crete, staying close to shore as best they can uh, to get up there. Verse 14, but not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. The word tempestuous, I like to study out words and their roots and so forth, actually comes from a root word in the Greek from which we get our modern day word typhoon. What's another name for a typhoon? Hurricane, that's what we call them in our hemisphere. Uh, in the Philippines and in, in, in that, uh, the South Pacific, they call them typhoons there. Um, this was a tempestuous wind and they called it Eurachlodon. 
We name hurricanes, don't we? And, you know, every year they start with the letter A and work through the alphabet and so forth. Uh, I had the best time talking to my wife about Hurricane Katrina and uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, they named them then. The word Eurachlodon, it's not really a human name or a name for a, a famous person or whatever. It is a word that means violent agitation. Okay? This is not a wind that is just blowing in one direction. If you ever watch uh, hurricanes, they tend to run in a circular pattern. Uh, I, think some, I think they go counterclockwise, uh, that type of thing. And they are, they are, they've encountered this wind called Eurachlodon. Started out well, south wind blow, blowing softly. Oh, this is a good time to go, testing the wind, rather than, well, God, what do you want us to do? They've ignored the preacher. When the ship was caught... And we could not bear, and could not bear up into the wind. We let her drive. This wind is is uh, coming almost from all directions at the same time. Um, if they keep the, we'll, we'll see. They're going to get rid of the sails and so forth in a little while. Uh, they can't control the direction of the ship. They only had to go 40 miles. That little distance from Fair Havens up to Phoenix. Okay. Um, they're caught in the wind and they can't stop it. It is absolutely out of control and it's just started. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda. Do you see? Uh, it's called Cauda on your map. You see that? Uh, they are going south. They're not going to the northwest where Phoenix was. They're going the wrong direction. The wind has, has got them. Uh, the Bible says we had much work to come by the boat. Most of their ships in those days had a boat that they towed behind them. And that would be what they would use if they did have to anchor uh, out in deeper water. They would use that to uh, uh, go into shore to get provisions or uh, resupply, whatever they had to do. And they, they needed to get that boat in. The Bible says we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship. I read a little bit about this, this thing called undergirding. Their ships were made of wood in those days. Um, and uh, though they, uh, they were pretty skilled sailors, beginning with the ancient Phoenicians and so forth, um, when the weather got violent like this, oftentimes they had uh, massive spools of the heaviest rope that they could get, and they would wrap it around the ship and in tourniquet style. Uh, it would take a lot of men to do it. They would tighten those ropes around the ship to keep it, the ship from actually blowing apart from the force of the waves and the storm and all of those things. And that's what it means that they were undergirding the ship. They were trying to secure it because they realized this storm um, is taking them uh, the wrong way, fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strike sail, and so were dr uh, driven. They don't know where they are. They know they're south of this place called Cauda. Um, they don't know how far south. All along the northern coast of Africa, there were bands of, uh, of uh, sandbars. And uh, many ships uh, uh, were wrecked on those things. And they don't know if they're close to them. Uh, they're getting worried uh, about all of this. Um, so what they did, the Bible says they strake sail. That means they took down the sails. Uh, sometimes in storms like this, they would actually cut the masts off the ship. 
to keep it from being uh, top heavy uh, and, and so forth. Um, and they always carried spare, believe it or not, they carried spare masts and stuff like that. But at least they took down all the sails, whether they cut the masts off. These sailors realizing that they're in a heap of trouble. And I'm sure in Julius' mind, who ignored Paul and ignored the preacher, I'm sure in his mind he's thinking, I hope that man doesn't say I told you so. He will just a little bit, but not for the reason we think. Um, uh, I, I'm sure he's saying, boy, I wish I'd have listened to the, I, I, I wish I'd have listened to the preacher. Um, and so forth. Verse 18, we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. They're thrown off everybody's luggage. They're thrown off anything that they don't think they absolutely need uh, to survive, to keep that ship from sinking uh, into the sea. And the third day, or three days into this storm, we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. The sails, they're throwing them overboard now. Uh, they're just getting rid of anything that, that uh, they don't need. They're just hoping that somehow maybe they'll float uh, to, to safety somewhere along the, the, the way. They're casting everything out. Verse 20, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. In ancient times, sailors, they navigated by the sun and the stars. Uh, they had devices whereby they could pretty much tell you where they were on the ocean. Uh, they could tell you what, what uh, coast they were nearby. Uh, they could tell you what direction they were headed uh, and so forth. They were very skilled at those things. But without the sun or the stars, these people had no idea where they were. They, they, they had no idea. You'll notice after Carter, the line just sort of meanders over the map. Um, the, the, there's no way for us to guesstimate how far south, how far north uh, they were. They're just at the mercy of the sea. There are no sails now. Uh, there's no way to drive or steer the ship. It's just what, wherever the waves are taking them. Has anybody here ever been at sea during a storm? Anybody? Okay. You were in the Navy, right? You were on one of those big vessels. What was that like? Scary. That's probably putting it mildly, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you gave Trina and I a, a cruise for our 20th wedding anniversary a number of years ago. And uh, so we, we did an Alaskan cruise and we were on a brand new Norwegian cruise line ship. We were the maiden voyage of this thing. That's kind of scary because you think of one other ship that on the maiden voyage, it didn't go so well. Uh, but this massive, massive ship, it's a floating city. Um, and uh, we didn't have a window or a, a balcony in our room. We had a porthole, uh, but we could look out. We could see, you know, the, the, the water and, and uh, we could see uh, pods of orcas, you know, uh, going by the, the, the glass and so forth. Uh, one of our last nights at, at sea, we had a storm. And uh, we could tell in the middle of the night the ship was rocking a little more. And to make one of those things rock, that's a lot of, that's a lot of wind and waves. And uh, I get up in the morning, and I always get up early and try to find a, a, a quiet place where I could just uh, have my devotions, have my journal and stuff. And, uh, you know, as I left our stateroom, man, uh, there were no women in the hallways, but there were men just being cut, sort of slammed from one side of the hallway to the other. Everybody's grabbing a hold of the brass handrails, you know, making our way upstairs and stuff like that. 
and it, it was a storm. I never, I've never been to sea before, and it, obviously my first time, you may have gone through a, a whole lot of them, but I went through one. Um, it was kind of cool. Uh, there were a bunch of men out there back in the days of camcorders. Okay, now we just take our phone and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, out there, uh, you know, that type of thing. And the women were below deck. They were handing out Dramamine-like candy at the, the, uh, uh, the main lobby in the place. And, and it was just one of those days. Eventually, the captain of the ship uh, just uh, let us know the severity of the storm. He said, I have not seen a storm uh, like this in at least three years. He said, we're probably going to uh, miss our last port of call in Vancouver uh, because we've already lost so much time and we've got at least another day of travel before we get back to Seattle. He said, I am going to ask that nobody goes outside anymore. Uh, the waves are coming up to the top of the deck and, and, and washing across. We don't want anybody washing overboard because we don't want to have to go find you, you know, that type of thing. And I remember Trina was sick, and I'm looking out our porthole, and the waves are coming up covering our porthole. And I don't know how, how far up uh, we were uh, from the water on a good day. Um, those things are scary, and we were on a modern ship. They had radio communication and, and all those kind of things. And, uh, you know, they were, they were in uh, communication with Coast Guard and, and the various port of calls and all those kind of things. You realize in Paul's case, nobody knew where they were. Uh, the people in Fairhavens would have known the ship left. They wouldn't have known if it, it, it got to Phoenix or not. Uh, they would have just maybe assumed that it did. Um, there was nobody coming after them because nobody knew they, that they were out there on, in that storm. And even if they knew they were out there, they had no way of finding them. There were no satellites, nothing like that going around. And notice the despair in verse number 20. And all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. That's a scary place to be, isn't it? When there's no hope. Is, hope is defined as the confident expectation of good. Keep your place here. Turn to the book of Job chapter 12. I know the story of Job very well. When we read the book of Job, we already know how it ends. But you realize that for Job, he had no idea if it was going to end. He had no idea if uh, this was just the way it was always going to be. He was going to be diseased and poverty-stricken, and, and he would die that way. Uh, look, if you would, please, uh, in, in Job chapter 12. He says, Behold, he, he withholdeth the waters, and they dry up. Also he sendeth them out. They, overrun, they overturn the earth. With him is strength and wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. We live in a world where everybody thinks they've got God, uh, you know, by the throat, and they're going to show God. And he said, now the deceiver and the deceived alike, uh, God's in control. He, he's God. And he leadeth counselors away spoiled and maketh the judges fools. He looseth the bonds of kings and girdeth their loins with a girdle. He leadeth princes away spoiled and overthroweth the mighty. He removeth away the speech of the trusty and taketh away the understanding of the aged. He poureth contempt upon princes and weakeneth the strength of the mighty. He discovereth deep things out of darkness and bringeth out to light the shadow of death. He increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations and straighteneth them again. He taketh away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth and causeth them to wander in a wilderness where there is no way. They grope in the dark without light 
and he maketh them to stagger like a drunken man. Job is, is speaking here. And he's just talking about uh, when, when God sets his mind to something, nobody's going nobody's to change the mind of God unless God wants to do that. Uh, and that uh, man can live as if he's got all the answers and that he's got everything under control, but God can turn that around in a heartbeat. And Paul and these, uh, these 276 souls on this ship, um, that's where a situation they find themselves in. Paul warned them. They had a preacher telling them, but they knew more than the preacher. And now you don't know what you're talking about. Now they're finding out maybe we should have listened, but you know, it's a little late for them now, isn't it? Uh, they, 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 they can't just undo the storm. They can't, uh, you know, push the button and the storm's going to stop because they realized, oh yeah, I guess the preacher was right. Choices have consequences. We all get to do what we're, we want to do. Um, there comes a, a place in all of our lives where we're not doing what we, we do because mom or dad or somebody's making us. We, we get to choose and God's given us a free will. But understand this, you get to choose what you're going to do, but you don't get to choose the consequence. Do you get that? You get to choose, you can do whatever you want, but you don't get to choose the consequence. And this ship full of men they're suffering the consequence. Verse 21, but after long abstinence, um, we know uh, it, it, it's been uh, many, many days, no sun, no stars. They, they have no hope of being saved. And after long abstinence, the idea here probably is they're not eating, probably sick, uh, probably scared to death. Maybe they're fasting to whatever God that they happened to serve on that, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. Now, I've often teasingly said Paul's getting his I told you so moment here. Uh, but knowing Paul, I really don't think that's his motive, um, or at least not his entire motive. He is right. They should have listened to him. I think Paul is prefacing uh, his statements that are to follow by reminding them, I told you before we ever left Fairhavens, we need to stay put. That, that this voyage is going to have much harm to ourselves, to the ship, to everything uh, involved in that. You should have hearkened to me. You should have listened. I knew what I was talking to you about because I know God. I'm in communication with God. God's leadership is real in my life. You should have listened. You didn't. You understand I, I was right in that. I don't think he's trying to rub salt in the wound. He's got another message from God for them. He wants them to listen this time. He wants them to take it to heart. They need to. Um, and, and so he's reminding them, you see, I was right. And now we're in a terrible mess. Um, all hope that we should be saved is taken away. But I want you to understand there's still God. Isn't that pretty cool? Uh, the Bible says of Abraham, who um, what, was it um, against hope, believed in hope. That's a, that's a neat phrase. 
he's a hundred years of age and God says, you're going you're gonna to have a son. Your wife is 90 and she's going to bear that son for you. Humanly speaking, that shouldn't have happened. There's no way it could happen. But against hope, he believed in hope. And his faith goes down in the annals of scripture for us. Paul is about to stand up with a message of hope in the middle of the worst storm that any of these men have ever seen in their lives. Uh, one from which they don't think that they're going to survive. With God, there is hope. But listen carefully, we cannot ignore God and do our own thing and expect a confident have an, a confident expectation of good, can we? Not at all. So Paul is about to share a message with them. We're going to start in verse 22 next Wednesday evening. We need to stop there for sake of time. Um, we're about halfway through this text.